Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of the Ministry Spotlight broadcast. Haven't done one of these for a while. We do them when we have an opportunity to talk to one of our broadcast ministry partners, and we do have that opportunity today. And this is going to be a little bit different than the usual. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun and really interesting. So Greg Laurie is on the line. Greg is the, the speaker, the teacher on the New Beginning broadcast, heard all across Bot Radio Network. Uh, Greg, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, it's going to be a little bit different because now we're going to talk about, uh, I want to get an update from you on how uh, the ministry is going. We're going to talk about an upcoming Harvest America Crusade that's coming up in uh, early to mid-June. But we're going to talk about Steve McQueen to begin with, and and probably our listeners are saying, Steve McQueen, some of them who are listening don't even know who Steve McQueen was. Right. But uh, there's a book that you have written, and it's about Steve McQueen. First of all, for those listeners who are not familiar with who he is, tell us about Steve McQueen, and then we'll get into a little bit more of uh, what this book is all about. Okay. Well, Steve McQueen was basically the he he is the guy who gave the template to a lot of modern actors today, sort of the anti-hero, the the rebel, uh, the the loner, the guy who comes and well saves the day in many ways, but uh, a more complex character than that. He was uh, in some of the most iconic films of the '70s, including uh, the the Magnificent Seven. The Great Escape, and those actually were 60s films, excuse me, and then uh, on into a signature film for McQueen, Bullet, and the original Thomas Crown Affair, and, and other films as well. But uh, he was the number one movie star in the world in his day, and, and he is an icon. That's why I called the book Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon. I was in kind of a hipster store the other day, and where they kind of have old stuff and, and new things, too, you know, catering to a younger generation. And right there on the wall, big old picture of Steve McQueen. Because, you know, he's perceived as, as a guy that's kind of timeless. I, I was looking at a website the other day that dealt with fashion, and the headline is what caught my attention. It said, who was cooler, James Dean or Steve McQueen? Because they're both iconic. So they went over their careers and their accomplishments and their films and even their style, their sense of style, and they concluded Steve McQueen was the coolest guy. And that's probably why he was known as the king of cool, because he had this sort of timelessness about him and, and was very unique. I, I interviewed Mel Gibson and asked him about Steve McQueen because I thought an actor could really talk about an actor, and, and Mel said there was just no one really liked McQueen. No one did McQueen like McQueen did McQueen. He was just a unique figure and stood apart, and, and many of his films have become iconic. I mean, the chase scene is regarded by many film historians as the greatest car chase scene in cinematic history, and that's in Steve's film Bullet. Uh, the Magnificent Seven, well, it just got remade again. Uh, and that is one of the great signature McQueen films, along with The Great Escape. Well, what was it that prompted your interest in Steve McQueen and Steve's life? Well, I think for me, it maybe it started when I bought a 1967 Highland Green uh, bullet Mustang called a replica car. I just liked it and thought it'd be a fun car to have. And, and maybe it started there, but uh, I've always been a fan of his going back to my childhood. But I think what prompted me to want to know more about his life is I'd always heard that Steve had become a Christian. 
Well, I saw a documentary film on television about his life, and it was just the typical story about his difficult childhood, his ascent to fame in Hollywood, and how he became a race car driver and and had all this success, and then got cancer and died, and it just ended on a very tragic note. And I thought, why would they not tell or at least mention in passing the story of his conversion? And then I thought, well, I don't even really know the details of it. Is it completely true? So I started chasing the story down, and that started with finding people that knew McQueen. So I interviewed the man who actually prayed with him to accept Christ, Leonard DeWitt, and I went from there. I ultimately met Steve's uh, widow, Barbara McQueen, interviewed her, uh, and then I wrote this book with uh, McQueen biographer Marshall Terrell, who has written five books on Steve McQueen. So he was my go-to guy to keep all my details right. But then as I began to learn more about Steve's life and the trajectory of it, I was shocked to find that we had almost identically parallel childhoods. Uh, We were both born of alcoholic mothers. Both of us never knew our biological father and, in fact, went looking for him. Uh, Both of us had abusive stepfathers, and both of us were sent to schools. Uh, He was sent to a reform school. I was sent to military school. So the parallels were kind of stunning to me, and it gave me the ability to write with a certain degree of empathy about Steve and why he became the man he was. Well, you said that Marshall Terrell, who was the uh, the person that you worked on this book with, has written yep. several other books about McQueen's life. What makes yep. this one different? Well, what makes this book different is I really make a beeline to his transformation. I mean, I tell a story like the other books do. I weave my story into it a bit uh, because I connect to it so deeply. But there's actually some details we uncovered in this book, Marshall and I, that have not been in any McQueen books. And I'll let the reader uh, figure that out, especially if they're a McQueen fan. But I think uh, what I really wanted to tell in detail, in rich detail, was how he came to faith, what led to that, what happened in the aftermath of that. So that's really where I'm headed from the get-go in this book. I want to tell that story above others, because there's been many fine books written about him. So I didn't need to rewrite one of those books, but no book has been written that focuses on his transformation and how he came to Christ. At what point in his life did he meet the Lord versus uh, the diagnosis that uh, took his life? Well, conventional wisdom is that he came to Christ in his deathbed. In fact, when I I had Mel Gibson out at our crusade last year, and I was interviewing him for his upcoming film, Hacksaw Ridge. And so I was going to use this illustration of my message about how Steve came to faith. So I was telling Mel backstage about it. Someone interrupted us, and then... Uh, after that person was done, Mel came back and said, finish the story about McQueen. And Mel's understanding was McQueen, you know, came to faith on his death. But I said, no, Mel, Steve came to Christ when he was the number one movie star in the world. To me, that's significant. I mean, thank God people come to Christ in their deathbed and they have real conversions. But but that happened later. In fact, it was about six to eight months later that Steve found out he had cancer. He came to believe in Jesus when he was at the top of his game, but he was disillusioned, and he had seen the, seen the emptiness of all that Hollywood offered. And really, at that point in his life, he was on a search. He may not have known he was on a search, but he was, which led him to a man that kind of broke through that very hard protective shell that Steve had around his life because of his turbulent childhood and upbringing. 
and Steve ultimately came to believe in Jesus. Well, we're going to encourage our listeners to get a copy of this book and read it, but tell us a little bit about the journey that you took to put the book together. How, how did you do it? Who did you talk with? Well, basically, um, along with Marshall Terrell, my co-author, we, we talked to a lot of people, uh, from people that, that knew Steve earlier on in life, an actress, Barbara Lay, that was with him in one of his films, uh, to his own wife, Barbara McQueen, who was with him the last three years of his life, to Stan Barrett, a stuntman that worked with Steve on a number of his films and, in fact, shared the gospel with him, uh, to Leonard DeWitt, who is the pastor that actually prayed with Steve to accept Christ and spent a lot of time with him after his conversion, to the men who helped to give him flying lessons, so there's a lot of first-person interviews there of people that really knew Steve very well. How did his, or did you get a sense of this, how did his Hollywood colleagues take to McQueen's conversion? Again, you said it was at the top of his game. It wasn't on his deathbed. Yeah. He was still, he was at the peak of his career, and obviously uh, probably people saw some changes. I don't think it was a widely known fact, actually. You know, this is in the day before social media. You know, the closest thing they had to a tweet back then was a bird on a tree. I mean, <laughs> nowadays something can be global in in second. Right. But you know, this would there was a little article in the newspaper that some saw, but very few knew about it. Um, what what got national attention, international attention, as a matter of fact, was that Steve was sick with cancer. But the, his conversion kind of went under the radar, and it's really a. a a story that is largely unknown. In fact, one of the things Steve said after he became a Christian and found out he had cancer to Pastor Leonard DeWitt was, my only regret is I was not able to tell more people about what Christ had done for me. So I thought, well, I think that's a wrong that needs to be righted. And, you know, we have a platform and opportunity, so what we do, I connected to his story because of my own childhood, and I thought, I'm going to tell his story. Because this is a powerful story, and what the story says is no one is beyond the reach of God. And no matter what has happened in your life, what setbacks you've had, and I mean, here's some factoids on Steve McQueen. Okay. I'm not making any of this up. Steve McQueen was raised in an alcoholic home, never knew his biological father. I mentioned that. As a boy, Steve McQueen literally ran away from home and joined the circus. I mean, who does that? He, Steve McQueen does that. Uh, Steve McQueen was arrested and served time on a chain gang. Uh, Steve McQueen was once a cowboy and a brothel. Steve McQueen was invited to the house of Sharon Tate because he was personal friends with Jay Sebring, the hairdresser, on the night that the Manson family struck and murdered all of them and at the last minute didn't go because he met some girl and ran off with her instead. He was on Manson's hit list as well. And the most fascinating factoid of all, Steve McQueen, number one movie star in the world, came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's right. Well, you'd mentioned something about a stuntman that worked alongside him. Uh, didn't he do a lot of his own stunts and driving and so forth? Yeah, he did a lot of them, but they wouldn't let him do everything. For instance, The Great Escape, uh, a well-known McQueen film, and the famous motorcycle jump where he... Uh, in character as Virgil Hiltz, uh, he's running from the Nazis on his motorcycle. Steve was driving that, riding that motorcycle, driving it, riding it. And in fact, he was so good, no one could keep up with him. So then he put on a German uniform, and he was the guy chasing him. 
Uh, he and he he drove his bullet. He drove uh, drove the '67 Mustang in a lot of bullet, but not all of it. Especially when it goes airborne, and in the famous jump scene in The Great Escape, another stuntman did that, and that is because of insurance on movie sets. Steve could have done it, and I think earlier in the day, Steve actually did the jump himself, but they wouldn't allow him to do it because if anything happened to their lead actor, the set shuts down. Maybe so it, yeah. But he, he had the ability to do all of his stunts, but sometimes they wouldn't let him do everything. But a lot of things you see in film were done by Steve himself. What do you hope uh, will be the, the end result of, the, of the, all of the time and effort that you've put into writing this book? Well, I think this book would be, first of all, a great book to give to a guy. You know, guys are not readers like girls are in general. And I think a guy would really connect to this because Steve was a guy's guy. But don't think that means the ladies wouldn't like it because many of the people who've read it, one girl who her job is to review books, told me, I mean, my, she said, my job is to read and review books. So when I go home, the last thing I want to do is read a book. She said, but I started to read your book and I couldn't stop reading it. And then another person who interviewed me said, you know, I, I read these books for my show, but I became so engrossed in the story, I wanted to finish it. And I think that's what happens, and, and I'd like to say it's because I'm a great writer, but I'm not. But I had a great writer working with me, Marshall Terrell. But it's told in my voice, and it is the story I'm telling, but Marshall just knows how to write really well. So I think it's a, a riveting book from what I've heard, and it's hard for me to be objective. I've been working on it, you know, nonstop for almost a year now. So, but I, I think it, it's, you know, we've got this thing down to the point where I think it's going to impact people. And I'm hearing really good stories from those who have been able to read advanced copies of it. So when will it hit the stand? Well, uh, you'll be able to get it probably around June 13th um, on the heels of our big event we're doing in Phoenix, Arizona called Harvest America. Right. It's a nationwide evangelistic outreach. You'll be able to get it there. You can pre-order it at Amazon.com. Uh, just go and type in McQueen. The Salvation of an American Icon. Uh, also, we have a website, mcqueen.harvest.org. mcqueen.harvest.org. You go there. You can pre-order it as well. And it'll be available for digital download, Kindles. And then on the heels of it, in the month of September, there's a uh, feature-length documentary film that we're working on that's being directed by John Irwin, who directed the Woodlawn film, among others. So it's going to be an incredible film uh, to go along with this book. Yeah, that should be fantastic, exciting. And by the way, on the film, if you go to our website, harvest.org, you'll see a picture of Steve on the top of our website. Click it, and you can see a little teaser from the film, or a trailer, as they're called. Harvest.org. Uh -huh. And, of course, that's where you go to get more information about A New Beginning. Let's talk. Let's turn the corner just a little bit, although we could talk for the rest of this program about the book and about the film and about Steve McQueen. And, and I'm going to ask you if I have time a little bit about that green Mustang that you drive around. But okay. uh, tell us how the ministry is going and uh, where are things going? Well, it's going very well. Thank you for asking. Uh, we've had some of our most productive ministry opportunities in the last few years. Last year, we went to the AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas. that seats 85,000 people. And we did a one-day evangelistic outreach that was also beamed out to other host sites across the country. And 
Well, we filled the stadium to overflowing. I, I couldn't believe we turned people away. And then uh, people attending these host sites uh, had this incredible response. In fact, when it was all said and done, 350,000 people were live in a host site somewhere in America watching the live feed from Harvest America, and 25,000 people made a profession of faith. So we're very thankful to God for that, and we're doing it again on June 11th at the University of Phoenix Stadium, which is not as big as AT&T, but almost. It's 65,000 seats. And just want to let our listeners know, we will be carrying a, a portion of that at 8 p.m. Central on June 11th on all of our stations. And the portion that we are capturing, of course, is the message, uh, Greg, that you'll be delivering. you want to give us a hint of what that's going to be about? Well, I want to thank the Bot Network for that. I really appreciate that a great deal. Uh, well, I haven't got my message. I haven't written it yet, but I can guarantee this. It'll be about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be about his life, his death, and his resurrection, his love for us, and his desire to come into our heart and forgive us of all of our sins. It'll be simple, but it will be biblical. It'll be understandable, and it will have humor laced in it. But when it's all said and done, from the moment I start this message to the time I finish it, I'll be preaching for a decision, and I'll be asking people to make a decision for or against Jesus Christ. So, you know, you think about people you know that aren't believers, have them tune in, listen with you. And then uh, it'll also be live on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. And afterwards, have a conversation with them, because as I'm calling people to Christ at the University of Phoenix Stadium, I'm in effect calling people to Christ wherever you are, listening by radio, watching it on a computer screen, watching it in a church sanctuary, or on your television set. So this is a great tool that you can use to reach out to friends that don't know the Lord, and I hope you'll do that. I'm talking with Greg Laurie. He's the speaker on the New Beginning broadcast heard all across Bot Radio Network. If you've never listened to it, you should, because uh, Greg sort of described a little bit sort of the style of the program. There's a lot of humor in it. It's fun to listen to. He's direct. He's relevant. And, and I really enjoy listening to it when I get a chance. So it's, it's called uh, New Beginning on Bot Radio Network. Well, you know, you talked about the AT&T Stadium and how it holds, what, 80-some thousand people? And there were people who could not get in because there was such a demand. That leads me to a question. We talked about this briefly before we went on the air, and that is, you know, there's a lot going on in this country. It seems like there, there's just such a need in the hearts of people. Uh, you know, if you look at the political situation in Washington and all of the angst and, and disagreement and just people not really doing their job trying to serve the American people, uh, take if you give us a sense of what you think uh, when you take the temperature or the pulse of the American culture right now. And I'm just talking about America, and then maybe we'll go a little broader than that, like worldwide. I'm reminded of the opening line of A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. There are little glimmers of hope for our future and a lot of things that concern me. There's such division. I can't remember a time since the 60s, I would say late 60s, that America has been more divided along racial lines, along uh, party lines, political lines, and really even along lines of Christians and non-Christians. You know, a lot of hostility. I don't think from Christians, but, 
It's a, you know, th- there's a lot of hostility toward our faith and the culture today. That's why I appreciate the Bot Radio Network, because this is a, a network that has God-honoring teaching out there to help strengthen believers, and, and Christians need to be strengthened. Uh, but having said that, you know, I see opportunities, opportunities for us as the church to permeate culture. Uh, there was a popular book, or is a popular book out right now, I won't name it, but uh, in effect the message of the book is we need to sort of isolate into our own little counterculture, and, and there's nothing else we can do in the culture today. Well, I would disagree. I think the opposite is the case. I think we need to infiltrate and permeate culture with the message of the gospel. And I think we need to pray for our president. You know, if you voted for him or not, he needs our prayer. And this is a president who has surrounded himself with a lot of strong evangelical believers. In fact, it was my privilege last week to go to the White House as a part of the National Day of Prayer, and we had a three-hour dinner with the president. He took us upstairs, showed us the Lincoln bedroom. It was quite exciting, I have to say. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying he hasn't made mistakes. But what I'm saying is he is the president. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for Vice President Pence and the members of the administration and our military. And uh, so much fighting right now. We need to fight less and pray more and, and pray for God to send a spiritual awakening to the United States. Absolutely. Well, let's, talking about a spiritual awakening, you know, it seems like there are an awful lot of movements of prayer going on uh, in this country and around the world as well. Give me a sense of, of where you see that, and do you agree with that? Oh, of course I agree. I, I agree 101% with all efforts to pray. But, but I would say if we only prayed, we only have one wing on our airplane, because I think the other wing is preaching, praying and preaching. Those are the two secret weapons of the church. I think some would think the secret weapons of the church are protest and boycott or register and vote. And though there's a place for registering and voting, and I think every Christian should vote, our secret weapons are prayer and preaching. So praying for our country, praying for people to come to faith, absolutely I support that. But then preaching, proclaiming the gospel. And if we only preach and we don't pray, there'll be no power in it. But if we only pray and we don't preach, we're missing the point of where God says, how will they hear unless someone tells them? So there's our place and there's God's place, and God wants to work through us. So that's why we're doing this event at the University of Phoenix Stadium on June 11th. We're going to proclaim the gospel. But what I'm asking everyone to do now is pray. In fact, we've initiated a little program we call 320. And we're asking everyone to set their smartphone to 320. Most go to p.m., not a.m., but uh, set it whenever you want. And and then when your alarm goes off in your smartphone at 320, pray for Harvest America. Pray that God blesses and many come to Christ. And someone might ask, why 320? Because Ephesians 320 says that God is able to do exceedingly above and beyond that which we could ask or think. So based on that, 320 every day. Set your smartphone and remember us in prayer. And if you want to know more about our event and participating in it and even becoming a host site, just go to harvestamerica.com. 
Com. That reminds me, too, if you want to find out the times for the New Beginning broadcast, it's uh, botradionetwork.com, botradionetwork.com, and just search for the schedule. Or also search for programs and look for a new beginning, and then it'll tell you all the times based upon what station you're listening to. So you want to make sure that you get an opportunity to listen to the program if you have not before. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, looking forward. And, and actually, let me go back to to follow up on the, the question that I asked about kind of the spiritual temperature of the United States. What's it looking like in places other than right here in the U.S.? Well, I think the whole world is, world is just in turmoil right now. I mean, we've got North Korea uh, developing nuclear weapons and, and trying to find a delivery system to get them to America. I mean, and they've said so in a very overt way. Then you have Iran, who I think that was one of the worst deals ever made that we made with them, giving them all that money. And, and I believe that they want our destruction as well. So you've got a lot of tension and turmoil. And then Russia, they're in the news every single day. And, and there's, a, you know, kind of renewed friction with them. And then just looking around the world, I think people know things need to change, but they don't know how to change them. They don't know what to do. And, and many are looking to America to set the pace, and we clearly, well, we don't seem to know what we're doing either right now. So I just really feel it's a time to pray and pray for our nation and pray for our leaders, that God would give them wisdom. You know, the Bible says, uh, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And let's just pray that we have righteous people ruling, and if there's bad decisions being made, that they would be overruled and right ones would be made in their place. And uh, that we could just do what God's Word tells us to do. You know, if we just would live according to Scripture and put God first, oh, what a difference that makes, not only in life, but in national life and everything. And so I think we have a lot to pray about right now. You know, uh, to make sure that that we don't miss this, because I only have a couple of minutes left, uh, I want to make I want to give you an opportunity to do the thing that you probably love to do most, and that's to lead people who might be listening to this program right now. They're you know they're looking at all of this turmoil in the world in the United States that you just described, and they're saying there's no hope. I guarantee you there are people listening right now who are thinking that they don't know where to go or what to do. There is hope in Christ. Greg, I'd like you to lead those people who are who are lost and don't don't really know where to go. I'd like you to lead them in a prayer so that they can meet the Lord right here. It'd be my privilege. You know, I I read the other day that the number one phrase being type, uh, typed into a Google search engines is is World War Three near. You know, that shows how scared people really are. And look, I don't know if World War Three is near, but I know that the coming of Christ is near. And he can come into your life right now and forgive you of all of your sin. And you might ask, well, how? Listen, he's only a prayer away. You just need to open your heart up and say, God, I need your forgiveness. And and Jesus says he stands at the door of our life and he knocks. And if we'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. So wherever you are right now listening to this, I'm telling you in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself can come and live in your heart and life. And Jesus will forgive you of all of your sins, and he'll give you a fresh start, a new beginning, if you'll let him. So if you would like Christ to come into your life, if you would like him to forgive you of your sin, if you would like to know that you'll go to heaven when you die, you could just pray this prayer after me. 
You can pray it out loud if you like. Pray it silently if you want to. But just pray this prayer. Pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. But I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. I'm sorry for my sin, Lord. I turn from it now. And I choose to follow you, Jesus, from this moment forward as Savior and Lord, as God and friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, perfect timing, Greg. Thank you so much. It's been a joy and a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book. I'm looking forward to seeing the film. And what is the date that that film will be playing, by the way? Yes, the film is going to be uh, shown nationwide on September 28th. Uh, it's called a Fathom event. Fathom is an organization that will rent a certain amount of theaters, and you pre-buy the tickets, and then you go see it. So hopefully it'll be in a theater near you. Uh, for someone listening on one of your stations in the BOT radio network, September 28th, if you want to know more, just go to harvest.org, and you'll see a box there that says Steve McQueen, American Icon. Click it, and it will tell you more. Fantastic. And again, the book that we talked about for the first half of the program, Steve McQueen, the Salvation of an American Icon, and you can go to Amazon, pre-order that. Well, thanks so much, Greg. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Take care. God bless you. For Bot Radio Network, this is Evan Fowler. Thanks for listening. <laughs>